I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 223. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad you are here. Very excited for this episode. Before I start jumping in, I want to make a quick announcement, something I'm very excited about. That's why my voice is sounding like this. Tomorrow, April 5th, registration opens for the Daring Way retreat. So if it's something that you're really interested in, I highly suggest putting an alarm on your phone or putting it on your calendar or something. I know many of you are already signed up um, with the interest list, so you will get an email right away in the morning that registration is officially open. It's going to be held in Asheville, North Carolina, August 23rd through the 26th, and we are going over the Daring Way curriculum, which is the methodology formulated by Dr. Brene Brown. It's work I've been doing for several years now, and I'm just ecstatic to roll it out in an in-person group at a retreat. So that opens up tomorrow, yourkickasslife.com slash daring dash retreat. And you can find all the information there as well as sign up. All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump right in this episode is actually part two of a discussion that I began with my dear friend, Kate Anthony. Part one is episode 221. So you can find that at yourkickasslife.com slash 221. Or if you haven't listened to it in iTunes, I highly suggest starting there. And we had kind of thought about having a part two of this conversation because there was so much to unpack and there's still so much to unpack. And we very much decided we had to because some of the feedback that we got from that first episode, we wanted to address. So before I roll out the recording of the discussion that Kate and I did just yesterday, I want to really, really be clear and forgive me if I'm being repetitive or redundant. I just, I felt like we were clear about a couple of things in the first one, but it still got misconstrued. So I want to just make sure that I'm, I'm clear hopefully about what 
both of these conversations really, what they are and what they are not. In a nutshell, what we wanted them to be and and what they are, are really two women, two friends in their 40s, having a conversation about what their body image journey has looked like in the past and what it looks like now. What it is not is two experts on body image talking about what to do. We make a couple of suggestions on what you can do to explore the main topic we're talking about here in this particular episode, which is diet culture. But again, this is a big, messy topic where we feel we've just begun to scratch the surface in talking about it. And you'll hear also that we're in two different places in our own healing and growth on this subject. And also I have plans later on uh, this year to have people on who are actually experts on this topic, on the topic of diet culture, on the topic of body image and and how to heal on that. Because I, I know that it's a very up, up close and personal topic for many of you. It's not something that I specifically do in my work. It's not in my wheelhouse, but it's definitely something that's indirectly related to to everything. We do say it in the recording, but I, I want to repeat myself. We are not saying, we are not saying you should or anyone should reject a healthy diet and reject exercise. If this came across as being our message in any way in the previous episode, that was not at all our intention. We both went back and listened to it because I wanted to make sure that, that that's not what I was saying. And we both agreed it wasn't what we were alluding to. How you learn and find the healthiest lifestyle for you, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally is up to you. And you truly need to find whatever route, whatever path you go down to get there. What we're telling you here is we're talking about the route that we've gone on and continue to travel. And I also want to talk briefly about my decision to sign up for a sprint triathlon. And I, I feel like it's it's somewhat imperative to this conversation because I talked in the first episode about, about my decision to not work out for a while and my reasoning for that. And then I and then now if you watch my Instagram stories, you've probably seen that I've decided to sign up for a sprint triathlon. And so you might might be wondering where that decision came from, especially based on what I was talking about a couple weeks ago. So I have taken a five-year break from triathlons and a three-year break from any kind of race. The last one that I did was in 20, gosh, I don't remember if it was in 2014 or 2015. I think it was in the summer of 2015 and it was a 10K and it was just, (laughs) that was sort of like my, I'm done. I'm hanging up my running shoes. I need to. I need to take a break. I went through a period of loving, loving running and the sport of triathlon. I love the challenge of it, especially with triathlon. I'm not a great swimmer or cyclist, and I'm not even like really a great runner. Like I'm not a natural athlete in general. I'm I'm someone who has to work hard at it. It's not something that comes really naturally to me like it does some people. And I've loved the excitement of race day. Then I found roller derby and fell in love with that. And that was my exercise of choice for a while. Then I got hurt in 2013 and had to stop everything. And I started to gain weight. And as someone who's been a part of diet culture since as long as I can remember, and by the way, 
Kate and I get into what exactly is diet culture because it's a, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. So we will get into that. And, you know, I'm someone who's been a part of diet culture as long as I can remember. And so weight gain for me, you know, it brought up all kinds of different shit. And I found myself jumping back into exercise programs and exercise regimens for the sole purpose of trying to change my body to try to control how other people felt about me. I had a hard time navigating. I was noticing I was having a hard time navigating that people, you know, the notion that people would accept me if I gained weight, if I wasn't this quote unquote thin person anymore. That is a product of diet culture mentality right there, what I just described. So that whole time I've been sort of taking a step back. So every time I would think about, you know, I would notice my pants getting tighter or something didn't fit me anymore. And I would kind of go into like this little bit of a panic and like, okay, what am I going to do? Should I sign up for another race? Should I, and this is something I talked about a little bit in the first episode. Should I do the whole 30 again? And what I did was anytime I started kind of like being triggered into that mindset, into that, that spinning is really what it looked like for me. I took a step back took a deep breath, took a step back and got curious about it and really, really was doing my own work. And then in 2016, my dad died and it sort of kind of all went off the rails. And now over the last few months, I can finally say I felt like I was ready to exercise simply for the sake of exercise. That's it. So this was, it was really the first time I can remember doing that, truly, honestly exercising, not for anyone else, not to change the shape of my body, but for the sole purpose of doing what my body is asking it to do and taking care of this vehicle that carries me around every day. You know, what I described before, that feeling of, you know, the main reason of exercising and eating differently, you know, eating more healthy to, you know, and I, and I want to emphasize like that the main reason I was doing it was to get into a certain size and change the shape of my body so that I would be perceived a certain way by other people. That is diet culture. And I wish there was a magic step-by-step process I could tell you about, but the crux of it has been rejecting diet culture, taking a break, stumbling through and here I am. So Kate and I get into kind of the nuances of what I just talked about. Cause you know, what we found in some of the feedback that we got is, well, so what if I want to exercise to change the shape of my body and that's how I get healthy and et cetera, et cetera. And so we kind of break down what that actually is doing to us, I feel as women. And I want to say one more thing before, before we jump into it. And, and you'll hear us talk about this is, you know, this is something that I have sort of woken up to, I think it's been almost a decade and I don't know why I chose to do it so quietly in the background, but, you know, as I started to read really amazing female bloggers and, and writers who were writing about this topic, I just was <laughs> just like, what? It's it's one of those things where it's about thinking critically and and looking at something that you have that you have felt to be real your entire life. The messaging, and I'm gonna say I because this is again my experience, the messaging I have received 
for as long as I can remember about what a female body needs to look like, about what a healthy body in general looks like, what you need to look like in order to be loved and accepted in this culture, everything got turned on its head. And what I have noticed is that when you speak out about that, when you talk about it, people don't fucking know what to think. (laughs) It's like, what are you talking about? Everything I know to be true is a lie or is fucked up. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. And that's some of the pushback that, that we got when Kate and I put that, that episode out a couple of weeks ago. And I get it. I totally get it. I was the same. I I, like, no, this, this can't be, this is, this is all I know. And I also feel like diet culture, I can't remember if Kate and I say it in the episode or not. So I'm going to say it now. I'm a firm believer that diet culture is, is just another system that keeps women down, that keeps women quiet, that keeps women in a certain box, that keeps women distracted I cannot not talk about it. I promised y'all last year that I would talk about these hard topics. And when I say hard topics, I, I specifically mean these are the topics that affect us on a level that is directly related to personal development. How can I sit here and teach you about feeling good about yourself, about worthiness, about managing your inner critic, about you know my entire second book, all of those habits, people-pleasing? I mean, that is directly related to diet culture. It is. It's a system that's been created to keep us, quote unquote, in line. That's my firm belief. I believe that wholeheartedly. And you might be like, what? I don't get it. That's kind of how I was too. Because again, it's 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 all we know. We've been fed this since birth. So anyway, Kate and I get into that a little bit. I hope you enjoy this second part due of this podcast. Thank you for being here as Kate and I awkwardly make our way through this conversation, a conversation that she and I are having for the first time. So again, um, thank you so much for being here. And without further ado, here we go. Hi, Kate. Hi, Andrea. Oh, welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> probably don't know where that's Nobody, from. Nobody, <laughs> they have no idea what that is. <laughs> Welcome back, Cotter. A show from the 70s, wasn't it? Wasn't it from the 70s? It was. I, was I think it was from the 70s. Mm-hmm. It was like John, John Travolta's Travolta. first bit breakout. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was. It was a sitcom. It was, yep. a, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. You know, the, the, what little I, I remember of it. Anyway, we are back. And for those people listening, you know, I mentioned this in the intro. This is part two, the second part of a conversation that we started two weeks ago. And that first episode was episode 221. I encourage people who are just stumbling upon this one to go listen to that one first, as we're going to be addressing things that were talked about in that episode. So if you didn't listen to it, you're probably a little bit confused, right? Yeah. I'm confused. (laughs) (laughs) I am too. Well, a lot has happened in the last week. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we had kind of tossed around the idea of doing a second part merely because we had more to talk about. And then as when the episode came out, we... And, and I asked people, like, I wanted to know, what do you guys think? And I asked on Instagram, which if you're not following me on Instagram, that's where I do the most engaging with y'all. 
and we got some we got some interesting feedback. Um, both positive and negative. And so we wanted to address all of it. You know, as I talked about in the intro about what the, the both of these conversations are and what they are not, I just want to open it up to you because mm. obviously I recorded that without you. Is there anything else you want to add how you feel like what this conversation is and what it is not? Yes. What this conversation is, is unprocessed to be, you know, we are, I am not an expert in any of this. So you're speaking for yourself. Uh, you're speaking from Kate's I'm point of view. I'm okay. speaking for myself. This is my point of view. Yeah. That I, I'm still in the middle of everything that we're talking about. And as Andrea said in the first, in the first uh, episode that we talked about this was that, you know, traditionally in our industry, we don't talk about things until we have them all figured out and tied up in a bow. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten to the other side and we figured out what the lessons are. And then we teach them to you. This this one is not that. This one is I. I have not gotten to the other side uh, of this. Andrea, I what think has the, way more anyone? than I have. <laughs> is that right? Exactly. Oprah hasn't yet. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I am specifically not. I'm just sharing my journey, and I'm sharing it with you while I'm still on the journey, which means that I don't have the answers. It means that I am not an expert in any of this. Uh, and I'm still in the middle of it. Uh-huh. And I sometimes think that those conversations are more, not more powerful, but I think they can be very powerful and helpful to people because I know that when I listen to experts or people who have been through something and now they're on the other side, it feels sometimes unattainable to me. Sometimes it feels like, well, that's nice for you, but... I'm over here Mm. in this pile of shit. And what about, you know, how, how, and, and so, uh, and, you know, Andrew will tell you that I'm, I am not, I don't shy away from sharing my mess while I'm in the middle of it. And that's something that people appreciate about me. And I think has become sort of part of my brand, I guess, if you want to call it that, which is just weird, but, but it is, you know, that I, that I share my mess when I'm in the middle of it because it helps me, but but it helps and it helps other people. I don't know if I'm being clear about that, but I think you are. Yeah. And what I want to, what I want to tag onto that is that my main mission in, within the community of your kick-ass life is to make women feel not alone. Part of that is me being vulnerable and sharing my stories, which if you are not new to the podcast, you know that I, I do that. I spent a whole month a few weeks ago talking you through my own upper limit stuff when it came to success and being seen and my second book and all of that. So, I mean, this isn't like I'm suddenly coming out and sharing story. I think where we where we might differ slightly is I feel like for you, it's un- unprocessed, like you said. I think for me... It is processed. And now that I've really sort of, we've pulled the trigger on this and had this conversation and then gotten the feedback and I've heard different perspectives from different women, it's it's allowed me to sit even further back and, and assess where I'm at with this and realize how much I have actually processed this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm on the other side of it. I think that what has happened to me is like, my, my friend Elizabeth Yalto has this really great analogy. She talks about a spiral staircase and she says like some topics in your life 
are going to be like that. And, and you're, you're kind of walking up the spiral staircase and then like you look down and you can still see the, <laughs> the issue, but you've, yeah. you've come some distance from it. And you're like, okay, sure. it's the same yep. issue, but it looks a little bit different. And I've actually healed that layer of it. So it's like all these layers that we're peeling off, you know, mixing metaphors here, but I think yep. you understand what I'm saying. And, and I'm excited to dive into to part two and, <laughs> and talk to you about this. And I think the now. first thing that we want to address is that but we went back. I asked Darlene, shout out to Darlene, who is our podcast producer over here at Your Kick-Ass Life, to edit out the first part of the episode. If if any of you caught it within the first couple of days when it came out, Kate was talking about her weight gain and mentioned specifically what size she was and what size she is now and the the process of, of the feelings around that. And I'm going to, of course, let you speak to this, Kate, because I know you're probably like no. jumping at the bit over there. No, no. no, no. <laughs> nope, not at all. <laughs> someone who, so backstory for people don't who don't know. I started my blog in 2008. I'm coming up on 10 years of writing publicly. I originally started out writing about my eating disorder. I learned early on, like one of the do's and don'ts, like one of the don'ts is that you don't mention weight and you don't mention size. And I did a little bit of it and some people were fine with it and some people absolutely were not. I ended up, long story short, kind of indirectly related, I ended up sort of exiting from the eating disorder community because A, I realized that there were a lot of people that were that were emailing me and coming to me and wanting to work with me or even just be my friend who were very sick in their eating disorder. I was not equipped to help them. And I actually stopped writing about it because I was attracting a lot of people that I was not, I was not going to be their guide. Sadly, I, I could not help them. But it's just one of the things that I learned early on. And so, you know, I've been on this journey for 10 years now. And so we decided, you know, right when Kate started talking, talking about it, I thought, oh, I'm, that might not, it might be distracting for people. They might not hear her point because they're too busy thinking, oh, wait a minute, you know, going down the compare and despair rabbit hole. So I made the executive decision as this, you know, is my podcast. I had Darlene just edit that part out. So the reason, and, and what I want to own in that is that initially my gut was like, mm, that's probably, probably not that helpful. It probably didn't have to be in there. Like you could have made the same point mm -hmm, without having mm -hmm. to say the exact size. So yep. for that, if it was offensive to anyone, if it hurt anybody's feelings for that, I am truly sorry. And I want to clean that up. That was never my intention. That portion is out of that very first episode. So I'm going to hand it over to you if you want to address any of that. Uh, yeah, no, I think you've addressed it really. I mean, I, when I, so, you know, what's interesting is that, <laughs> and this, and this speaks to so many, so many of these issues, right? Is that when I started this journey, I, I remember specifically having a conversation with you, Andrea, where you said, oh, it's no. so, <laughs> what? No, no, oh. no. You said, you said, it's so weird. You said, I, cause I said, Andrea, I didn't know. I was like, I didn't know. And you were like, oh, I thought you did. Oh, I, I thought that. you knew, but you were just making a choice to ignore it or whatever. And I was like, no, I literally didn't know. This is when I was uncovering all of the stuff. Didn't know what? My Be specific. I didn't know about diet culture. Okay. I didn't know about, um, so what I, what I'm pointing to is that while you have been doing this work on this specifically for 10 years, I've been in the dark for 20. This is a whole new world for me. So when I, so I didn't know that there were like rules and not to say certain things because, because they're triggering because mm -hmm. as soon as you put a number on it, certain people relate and certain people don't and people judge 
themselves in you know relation to that. People judge you in relationship to them, and it just gets really messy, right? And now I can see that. I literally didn't have that perspective. I was using sizing simply to measure as an, as as context to measure the change that my body had undergone and how dramatic it had been. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I use specific numbers, what it did was shut shut out people from the conversation. Right. And that is not what I want. I want to include everybody in this conversation mm-hmm. um, because it's not, it's not about numbers. It's about experience. You're right. It's, I, I love that. It's not about numbers. It's about experience. And, but the, when we use numbers, it can be distracting from the, the actual conversation because it is such a charged yep. topic. So thank yep. you. Yep. Trying to find the perfect gift for someone special in your life, maybe for Mother's Day, but feeling overwhelmed? Finding a unique gift that they'll love that's personal and that they won't already have can be the ultimate challenge. That's why I'm so excited I've discovered Songfinch. It's an amazing, thoughtful gift, and it's easy and fun to make. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and lasts forever. I had Songfinch make me a song about my dad, which was a gift to myself. This was such a personal song for me, and I was a little skeptical the artist could capture the emotion I wanted. But during the process, they have you share some personal details about your relationship with the person you're creating the song for. Then Songfinch, musician of your choice, you get to pick based on samples they have, will write, record, and produce your original song in just four to seven days. I love my song so much. I was so emotional when I listened to it. I had no changes. It's perfect. Whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, wedding, or anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person you gift it to can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Go to songfinch.com noise and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, my URL is songfinch.com slash noise. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash noise. There's definitely been times in my life where my paycheck ran out before I got paid again, and I wish I could have accessed my next paycheck a few days before I was due to get it. Well, what if I told you that can happen with Earnin? Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for anything you need to, therapy visits, rent, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Which yeah. brings us to the next point that we want to address, and then we're going to kind of kind of jump into diet culture and and what that actually is because we it's it's sort of a buzzword and we mentioned it in the last episode, but we didn't actually dive into to what it is. I 
I thought that it was important, especially after kind of getting the feedback. This is actually my bad for probably not addressing it in the first episode is owning our quote unquote thin privilege and just naming it. You know, Kate and I are and I again, I can only speak for myself, but the way that my DNA lined up, I don't have a family history of of obesity. And, you know, if you look at my parents, they are two relatively thin people gain a little bit of weight in their older age, but as to be <laughs> probably expected, you know, two thin-ish good-looking people. I know that there are people who have struggled with their weight their whole life. It's not fucking fair. It totally isn't the way that it's just, you know, that the gamble that we all take within the world of just how DNA lines up. And so I think that that's mm-hmm. just my very awkward way of owning our own thin privilege. And it's interesting, again, years ago when I was writing about this, when I would write about things like exercise, you know, that perfect body isn't going to bring you the happiness that you want. And I would get backlash. I would get some people that were, that were pretty mean to me and saying that I should not be talking about that, that it is unfair for me, someone who is thin to, to talk about that. Right. And like easy for you to easy say. For, exactly. That's what I got. And, yep. and I would get really offended by that. And just cause I made it, I, I took that as that my, they were saying my story doesn't matter and that I don't matter. Right. And my experience right. doesn't matter. It was my mm-hmm. friend, Mara Glatzel, who actually pointed out and she wrote a guest post for me because I was still like confused by it. And I was humbled by her lesson in this in saying like, you can still talk about it and still own your privilege. Mm-hmm. It, and yeah, I think that's all that I'm going to say about it. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I, I, I guess I have the same, the same, I mean, just to, just to echo, right. I think that for some people it can be really triggering or just angering to listen to two pretty white, thin women talking about their body image issues. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I hear that. Right. I, I mean, I get, I get that. And I can't discount that. I can't discount that. Um, I don't consider myself thin anymore, <laughs> but, but is, but, and that might be diet culture and the messaging and everything. Right. Uh, I literally have no perspective anymore. I'm considered overweight no, by BMI standards right now. Then I'm probably, I'm, I'm probably like obese and BMI standards. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I don't know because no. I don't, uh, I don't use those standards. I don't, I don't weigh myself. I don't know what the number is. I know that I, I, I don't feel that I'm thin right now. I, and it's funny because I almost want someone else to look at me and be like, so do you think, like, would you call me thin? <laughs> like, and I, I can't, I, no, I, I think the answer is no. <laughs> I see how twisted this is. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, and I think I want to actually say one more thing about that. And that's, you know, again, I was talking to another colleague about that, about this very awkward, tricky thing about talking about diet culture and weight. And then you have these categories of people's sizes and who's talking about it. Are you quote unquote worthy of talking about it? Have you ever struggled with being overweight? Cause if you have, then maybe you're worthy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my friend said, I kind of feel like that's like saying when you say, when a thin person says, but my experiences matter, but my body image issues matter. That's like saying all lives matter when you're talking mm-hmm. about race mm-hmm. and Nobody wants to be that person. (laughs) All that to say, this is, again, an awkward conversation that we're not going to get right. And I have made a commitment here on the podcast to talk about these types of difficult issues and really set aside any kind of perfectionism that I have. But at the same time, having a platform like I do carries a responsibility. I'm just, I'm doing my best, y'all. I'm doing my best. That's why we're recording a part two of this. Also, let's switch gears and talk about what diet culture is. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So, do you ha- do you have that definition that you sent me? Okay. All right. Yeah, well, I think, let me start, just let's let's just from the internet launch pad. Yes. From the internets. Okay. So let me just read to you. This is from mysignaturenutrition.com. And then I want to also read you some points from a blog post that I found. I mean, y'all can just Google what is diet culture and you will find a zillion articles about it. Because here's, before I even jump into this, here's kind of what we saw happen a little bit from when we, when we put that last episode out is that when you have this conversation, especially when you have people, women who are talking about rejecting diet culture, other women kind of freak out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Because this is what we know. We actually feel safer adhering to diet culture. Yes. What well, read the, I, have, for I have more to say about this. So, so read the read okay. the read the definition. Would you first before okay. we dive From into mysignaturenutrition.com. Diet culture mm-hmm. is a society that focuses on and values weight, shape, and size over health and well-being. Variations of diet culture also include rigid eating patterns that on the surface are in the name of health, but in reality are about weight, shape, or size. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it goes on to talk about diets and yeah, so that's just like the basic definition. Do you want me to read that, that other thing that gets a little bit more nuanced about it? Sure. Okay. So this is from katebrown.net. I will link to both of these in the show notes. I don't know you, Kate Brown, but I love your blog post. It came up, it came up first on Google search, whatever you're doing with SEO is working. So (laughs) she has kind of like these three, three characteristics of diet culture. So she says, number one, diet culture isn't just about weight loss. So she says, diet, of course, refers to what you eat. Overwhelmingly, The word diet is understood by most people as dieting for weight loss. And that's certainly a major component of what diet culture does, which is convince people that their bodies need to be smaller. But diet culture is concerned with all the choices people make about the food they eat because food, this is a big one, y'all, food Mm. equals morality. And then she goes on to talk about how certain foods are good and certain foods are bad And then the second characteristic is diet culture does not support the value of all bodies. Diet culture doesn't just show itself through moralizing food choices. It also has deep concern for assigning a hierarchical value to bodies. Again, this comes most clearly in compulsory weight loss, but the phrase, quote unquote, you are what you eat, also makes this pretty clear. Healthy people look healthy, right? And then she talks about... This last one, this one really, really struck me. Okay. Diet culture does not exist in a, va- in a vacuum. Diet culture is just one social system in which people are treated inequitably. And it often mm. overlaps with racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, and classism. Oof. But it's also Here important to understand that many issues of oppression and prejudice do not function on their own. I just got goosebumps. Mm, so too. she had given an example earlier of, of Cheetos equal, equals bad, carrots equal good. So she says, if we go back to the Cheetos equal bad, carrots equal good example, it's not the foods themselves that signify their worth, but the meanings around them that give that good or bad reading. Cheetos invoke our deeply broken food system, inequities with food access and people, coded as poor people or people of color who value Mm. inexpensive food. Carrots Mm. invoke farmer's markets, wholesome living, and people coded as white, economically stable, who value their health. 
If you are anti-diet culture, you must also be anti-oppression in other ways. It's important to recognize the similarities and differences in how the messages we receive reflect this example. Reflect this. And she says, example, why are yogurt ads so gendered? Mm. So again, I'm going to link to that article. It was, it was wow. really great. And it's just like, I know, head explosion, right? And yeah. I think that this is another reason that it, it's just, she, she really nails it. The thing that I think that I want to... Okay. I have so many things that I want to say, but I think first and foremost is that what I would love for, and this was my initial intention for this conversation was that I want people to start to think critically. That's what I started to do 10 years ago. And she, I think that this is, yeah, she goes on to link back to a woman who's been a blogger forever. Um, She says, read everything that Michelle wrote from The Fat Nutritionist. And I started reading that blog years and years ago. I'm like, oh my God, yay, she's still around. She's still writing. So (laughs) thefatnutritionist.com. And that's really, it was like probably nine or 10 years ago when I started reading about diet culture and and freaked out myself again. It's been kind of like this on again, off again relationship that I've had that's mostly been off again. Again. But yep. I I knew I, I kind of I knew, but I didn't know that it was like this system that had bigger meaning. And anyway, I'm gonna stop talking and, and let you talk. What's going on for you over there? I am wow, what is going on for me? Well, you know, the idea of us looking at it critically, and, and you know, I'm coming from someone, it's so funny because I hear you say, like, I've been thinking about this for 10 years, and I'm like, where was I? I was so <laughs> You know, and here's the deal. Like I am a really sort of smart, educated personal development professional who just missed the boat on, I was so enmeshed in diet culture. We were all talking about this. What? You were absent that day? I was absent that day. I was absent that 10 years. Well, what's interesting is like, okay, so real quick, out of all the conversations we all have, we talk about our relationships and from a personal development standpoint, you know, not always, let's be honest. We talk about work. We talk about parenting and like all the hard parts of parenting. But to be honest with you, out of all like our circle of friends, I don't know if there's really anybody that I've had this deep conversation with at this level. I really haven't. Yeah. It's been mostly these kind of outskirts of people in the eating disorder community that I've had this conversation with. And again, I've been kind of quietly working on it on my own and, and really doing a lot of introspective thinking. Yeah. And I and I didn't until I was hit with it. And I was hit with it so hard that I, and then I started reading things and I was like, what? Wait, what? (laughs) And, you know, this is one of those things where you, once, once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. Right. When I learned, you know, diet culture, I mean, I want to expand on the definitions of diet culture because it's the female lifestyle empowerment brand as, as, uh, Kelly deals has defined it which is this idea of sell, selling an ideal, you know, selling that anyone can have this. Mm-hmm. You just have to this, work hard enough. You just have to, if you work hard enough or yeah, if you work hard enough, you, you too can be uh, doing yoga on the beach with your laptop and living a life of freedom. Never talking about the fact that there's a trust fund supporting this. When, you know, the, the Fitspo, uh, there's a great woman I'm following on Instagram right now. I'll have to figure out who she is so that I can tell you guys. And she used to be a fitness model and she's posts before and after. So uh, photos of her as a fitness model 
And then as her now, she's, and she talks, she, she outlines, she had this one photo so powerful of her as a fitness model. And then she outlines what she did that day and how she got to that place. And it is so destructive and it is the most unhealthy thing. This is, this is the, this is the lie. Mm -hmm. The lie is that it's healthy. Right. Well, and here, let me jump in for a second, because this is also tricky for me because this is my background. And, and, you know, for people that don't know, I got my, I love the fitness industry. I have my degree in exercise physiology. I worked in the fitness industry, both on as a personal trainer and a group fitness instructor on the gym floor, as well as at a corporate level for an organization that I have a lot of respect for that certifies personal trainers and, and health coaches, et cetera. And when I was in college, what was kind of, I did a head explosion when we were doing research and reading about how just the, kind of around, no one ever said the word diet culture, which I wish they would have, mm-hmm. or maybe I, maybe they did. And I just was like, I'm not hearing that. No, 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 no. But just the idea and research shows us that there are people who are quote unquote overweight who are still healthy. So it was that notion of thin does not always equal health. Right. And I mean, I'm looking at the numbers and, and, and I'm just like, wow, really? Because I had just like, you know, I've recorded a couple of podcast episodes where w- how I grew up learning about people of color and what the stories mm-hmm. that I knew, which were totally screwed up and, and, re- you know, realizing that racism just ran rampant in my own life. And then also realizing that the judgment I had of people who were overweight and they're just not working hard enough and they just need to, it's just thermogenics. It's just calories in and calories out. So when right. you know, really realizing and looking at the data that that is not true, thermogenics is not always the answer for everyone right. and BMI is bullshit and all of these things. So, but then on the other hand, this was when I got my degree, this was at the height of like the obesity epidemic. And I'm using using air quotes, right? And like, right, we need right. to solve yep. this problem, like the war on obesity. And we're, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. We're fucking fat shaming. Like that's what right. we're doing. And, and it's just, it's so And coming to that realization for myself and the judgments I had against people, it was, it came crashing down and had to do, had to look at myself in the mirror and really look at the judgments that I had and change those judgments yeah, that's that's what diet culture is on a ground level. Yes, that's what diet it culture is. is. And I and I want to sort of actually expand on that because you know this idea that that thin doesn't need mean healthy. They've actually done massive studies on this, mm-hmm. and I don't have the data in front of me. I wish I did, but they've done massive studies on this and found actually often people with higher BMIs or you know who are way more. I don't know how, how else to say it um, are actually healthier mm-hmm. than thin people because of what we have to do to get ourselves there. If it is not in your natural DNA to be thin, and you are uh, chasing thinness, putting your body, traumatizing your body. I mean, I talk, I talked in our last episode about what happened when I did the, that uh, infomercial where I lost a ton of weight and I looked amazing and I stopped getting my periods and I had eczema all over my hands and my face and my body was in trauma and shock. And I may have looked you know, quote, the ideal, you know, that I was chasing for sure. But I was unhealthy as all get out. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, and I want to kind of pause, pause for a moment. And because this was a it was, I know it was at least one comment. It might've been more than one on Instagram where there were some people who were, I feel like they were interpreting our last conversation as us saying, we are saying that 
diet and exercise is bad. Oh my God. Like, yeah, that that's what we're actually rejecting. And that's not at all. I repeat, I'm waving my arms over here. That is not (laughs) at all what we're saying. I'm still a huge believer of healthy eating and exercising to move your body. What we're saying is, and please, for anyone who's like kind of confused about it, please spend five, maybe 10 minutes, just Google what is diet culture and do a little bit of reading on it. I think that yes, yes. And, and, and just to kind of circle back of what I was saying last, last time is I was conflicted because, you know, it's like my dad died and things kind of went off the rails and I had been kind of inconsistent before that with working out and, and I would start to feel that I was, I don't have a scale. I haven't weighed myself. I just don't have one. And I, but you know, obviously we know cause our pants don't fit and my underwear wasn't fitting anymore. So I'm like, okay, gaining weight. I would think, you know, th- that panic would invoke in me. I wasn't concerned at all, you guys, really about my health. <laughs> I'm mostly concerned <laughs> about right. how I'm being perceived by other people. Yeah, That is diet me culture. Too. Me too. So I, have, I refused. So-, so my line in the sand was like, no, I am not going to do this anymore. And this was my own journey. I'm not saying that this is what people should do. I'm not going to repeat it. For the people in the back, I'm not saying that this is what people should do. I'm saying this is how I process and heal. Every time I started to feel that panic of, oh my God, I have to have a photo shoot and I have gained, I look heavier than I did in my last photo shoot. Oh my God, I I need to start working out. Maybe I should do another whole 30. I rejected that. I rejected that. And that to me was an act of revolution. That was an act of self-love until I was ready to move my body from a place of wanting to take care of myself and not Mm -hmm. give a shit about if my pants fit me again, if I had to go out buy brand new pants or whatever, that's when I signed up for the triathlon and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And my body is like, thank you. Thanks girl. Like we're happy now. So that's, I just wanted to say, just to clarify if I was unclear the first time. Yeah. And I, and I, I agree. I mean, I, I think what I said in the last episode was that for me, I am now going to the gym three, four times for me. Here's, here's my experience was I was always on a program or off the rails. There was no in between. So I was on in a, you know, uh, an eight week fitness program, or I was doing a diet uh, some, some diet whole 30 or whatever, and going to the gym every single day, then it would end. The 30 days would be over. The eight weeks would be over. And then I would be doing nothing. So for me to go to the gym and choose to go show up at the gym three, four days a week, not because I want to change my body, but because I love the exercise that I do. I love the community that I do it with. That is, that is a radical shift for me to choose to show up when I choose to show up because I want to move my body in the way that, that I love in certain aspects, that is, that is a radical shift for me. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting. One of the things I wanted to touch on is that when I, when you have been dieting and we, you know, you do this and we talked about this in the last episode too, that, you know, when the, the, the science shows, right. The research shows that you are, when you diet, then you get off the diet and you go into like a binge cycle. You've got a restriction, a restrictive cycle and a binge cycle. And I always thought binging looked a particular way. I had a friend in college who was, had a severe eating disorder and she was a binger. And when she binged, she came over to our house and she ate every single thing in the entire pantry. Um, and then she would throw up. So I never considered myself binging when I would 
eat like an entire bag of potato chips or eat a bunch. But what I, when you go from complete restriction to, I'm never going to have this thing again. So I need to eat all of it, right? There's no moderation. But what it also does is teaches you to never listen to your body. You don't listen to the cues. And one of the most radical things that happened when I, when I started on this journey was when I went to my therapist and she said, so do you know what it feels like to be hungry? And I was like, I know what it feels like to be starving. Mm -hmm. Like I know when I'm so hungry that I'm shaking. Yeah. And she said, okay, so that's not hunger. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And she said, do you know what it feels like to be full? Do you know when your body has eaten enough? And I, do you pay attention enough? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to do that. It's not even paying. For me, it's not even paying attention. It's, I don't know. I literally don't. And I still, I'm still working on that. I'm still struggling with, oh, what's that? Finding that feeling because Mm -hmm. you've tamped it down for so long. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, Um, I I would love for you to address something because somebody, there was one person in the comments who was, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but it seemed like she was a little bit upset because you said the same thing in the last episode about research showing that diets are failures, that diets don't work. I, yes, I, 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 I don't know if you're addressing the idea that great, if diets don't work, so now what? Right. So, so, so now what? And this is exactly mm -hmm. the, this is the crux of it right here. This is the crux of it. And this is where I'm still really unprocessed. So I, I just full, full transparency. I was on my friend's couch last night sobbing about this. So this is how much I'm still in the middle of it. Fortunately, it was a dear friend who I went through all of my coach training with. So <laughs> she's a, she's a coach and she was, and we were having this conversation and I said, I didn't have a choice. I had to stop dieting. And she said, but you did have a choice. And I said, well, not really. When the alternative, she said, but it sounds so disempowering. And I said, yeah, it feels really disempowering because once you see the, and the research does show the research, research shows that diets, that when you go on a diet, unless, and we, and we said this, we addressed this, I think pretty, pretty clearly in the last episode, 
unless you make it a lifestyle change, unless it becomes how you live your life from now on, which many people are able to do, by the I, way. I do know some people that are able to do that. Yes, so I don't absolutely. I don't want to discount anybody who is. And that's one thing, just quick side note that we wanted to say too, is that it, you know if you are doing something, if you're doing Weight Watchers or whatever, and it's making you feel really good, and you're learning a lot about hunger cues and portion sizes and these things that were never taught to you, and it's making you feel empowered, then yes. by all means- Yes, 100%. I know people who literally didn't know that, you know, uh, uh, certain foods were actually not very good for them, right? And so if something like Weight Watchers teaches you nutritional value in a way that you've literally never learned and is teaching you about food and about healthy choices, then like absolutely more power to you and stay the course and don't listen to us. Um, (laughs) We don't know what we're talking about. We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. I know a lot of people who have to be educated on or have had to be educated on what healthy eating actually looks like because they grew up in a culture or in a family where, you know, every vegetable was in a cream-based casserole and a raw vegetable was never eaten. And then when you do the numbers, when you look at the numbers and you look at the nutritional content and you look at the calorie counts, it's like, oh, and which sort of brings us to that conversation we were having earlier, Andrea, about the idea of the, the difference between counting calories and observing calories, because it, it's important information, mm-hmm. right? It's just what we make it mean and what we do with it. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. I think I, I, I agree. Yes. Well, and kind of kind of switching gears, but indirectly related. I I think that what might be helpful for people in this moment and in this conversation is to think about you know when you're thinking about diet culture is to think about a couple of important things, and you know this is if you're talking about racism, if you're talking about classism, like any of these systems that have been created, uh, you know, unbeknownst to us, is I think a big question is what did your family, mm-hmm. especially your mother, I think for for many of us. What did you grow up seeing your mother do in terms of her body? Did she criticize her own body? Was she weighing herself constantly? Was she always on a diet? Was she talking to her girlfriends or her sisters about dieting? Was she commenting that certain foods are good or bad? And then also, I think that what is your earliest memory? What is, and I'm curious for you, Kate, like what is your, when was the first time you went on a diet? Because I think for most women, we know. Mine was in high school. Yeah. Mine was not because I was 87 pounds in high school. So Why? I wasn't I wasn't on a diet. <laughs> I was just really sick. I grew up rejecting food for most of my oh, life told me because about this before. Yeah, this is So food was a battle in my in my house and my family. My mother grew up in 19, she was born in 1941 in England. She was in a bomb shelter every night uh, of her childhood. Her living room windows were blown in and she grew up during food rationing. When the war was over in 1945, then there was rationing for the next probably, what, 10 years, I think. So my mother, as a war baby, does not believe in waste. Every single thing has to be eaten on your plate. And so I was never taught to acknowledge my own cues. I was never ever allowed to be hungry or be full or to listen to my body and listen to my own cues. So when my therapist asked me that question, I was literally like, no, like never in my life. But my, but because of my mom's sort of panic about food, she, it became a, it became a a daily battle. People would not have 
meals with us because it was me uh, assert, trying to assert control and her trying to assert control over this plate of food mm-hmm. and how quickly it was eaten and how much of it was eaten. And it was awful. And to the point where the only thing that I felt at a certain point unconsciously that I ever had any control over was whether I ate. And I, my greatest act of rebellion was throwing all of my food out my kitchen window. And I lived in, I grew up in New York city. And so it just went down into the alleyway between buildings for the rats. Mm -hmm. I, I fed, I fed the rat population of West 81st street for many, many years. You know, she would leave, she would make me breakfast. She would leave the room and I would throw it out the window. And so it, my thing, when I, when people say that, you know, we talk about eating disorders, like I didn't have an eating disorder. I wasn't anorexic in the classic sense. I wasn't bulimic in the classic sense, but I had a very disordered uh, relationship to food. Mm -hmm. And as such, I was emaciated. I, because it was, it was a, it was a, my relationship to food was all about power and control. It was the only thing I had control over. And it was my biggest fuck you to my mom. Hmm. So that's where I began. Right. At the same time, my mother was very critical of other women's bodies. I really hope she's not listening to this. Very critical of other women's bodies. She was always on about butt exercises. Everyone had to do their butt exercises. And even when I was 87 pounds, she would come up behind me and she would jiggle my butt and say, ooh, somebody needs to do her butt exercises. <sighs> Oh you can gosh. be skinny. You can be skinny, but you know, you, you're, but, you're, but if you're flabby, you're nothing. That's where I come from. And so... When, you know, as I got older, as I had a baby, but no, when I was, I went on my first diet, I walked into a Weight Watchers meeting and I want to use numbers, but I, but I won't, I guess. When I was a weight that I would fucking kill to be right now that I haven't seen since I had my son. Let's just put it that way. I was incredibly skinny. I married a man who also made me feel like you know, I wasn't quite good enough at the weight that I was, you know, and it was very encouraging of me to go to Weight Watchers mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was so skinny. And this woman, I walked into my first Weight Watchers meeting and she looked at me and she goes, oh, honey. And I live in, in LA now. So, and she said to me, oh, honey, I know your type. And what she didn't do was pull me aside and say, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. Why are you (laughs) here? Yes, exactly. She just assumed I was one of those, you know, LA actresses who. Well, you kind of were. I was, I was, (laughs) but at the same time, that's so sick. Right. So, but she said, you know, I know your type in this very disgusted tone. You don't belong here, but I'm not going to tell you why. Was that it? Right. Well, it was, oh, please. You know, oh, please, like, honest, like it wasn't, it wasn't, there was no concern. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first diet. <laughs> um, I had a different experience, <laughs> but same, same, but different and and mostly different because my, and I've, I've had to really do some thinking about this because my mom was never, we grew up in, 
in an, in an active home, my parents were very active people. They played tennis and, and they were, exercise was fun. You know, like they made exercise fun and I never thought of exercise as punishment. My mom never said anything bad about her. I know this is like rare. My mom never said anything bad about her own body or other women's bodies. It was just a non-issue. Food was again, a non-issue Again, so it was money. So then like I had my own issues about money too, which I worked on separately. But I think that what happened and and you and I grew up around the same time is, and I've I've thought a lot actually recently about my role models growing up, you know, as my daughter is getting to that age where she's going Mm -hmm. to start seeing other females in the media. And it's like, who do I really want to encourage her to look up to? I looked up to athletes when I was little. I read Dorothy Hamill's autobiography. You know, women like Chris Everett, Chrissy Everett was like the shit. Oh to me. yeah, she was. People have no idea who she is. She was a she was a oh my she God. was a tennis star. She was like America's sweetheart back back in the late seventies, early eighties. Even you know, as I got older, Jennifer Caprietti and and um, and even much older than that, you know, Gabrielle Reese, my still love and follow on Instagram. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. athletes were the women that I grew up admiring and wanting to emulate. And then it wasn't until like the real height of the aerobics craze in the eighties where Mm -hmm. it was like Jane Fonda and, you know, all these different, different aerobics instructors. And, and then also in high school, really starting to compare my body to my friends whom we, Mm. and to like the variation of, of weight might've been like maybe 10 pounds, but of course it was, it wasn't, I wasn't skinny enough. And I think for many women, it's, it's not that we feel that we're overweight. It's, it's, and this is actually a point that Courtney Martin makes in her book, um, perfect girls, starving daughters, which is an excellent read. I will link to Mm. in the show notes is that it's, it's not a matter of, of feeling overweight for many women. It's a matter of not feeling skinny enough. And so that's how I felt. And so I went on my first diet, my junior year of high school, I stole money from my dad, which makes the story even worse, which he would leave money out. And like, if I, if I wanted it, it was the only time I stole money because I knew if I wanted money, he would give it to me, but I always told him what it was for. And I knew he would, it would be an awkward conversation if it was like, I'm going to go to GNC and buy some diet pills. So it was like this thing Mm. that was out and it was like, it was so confusing. Like I got the box and it was like these pills and, and which probably like side effect will give you a heart attack. Right. Anyway. So I took them but and I did They no see. longer actually make, right? They're, right. No, they're no, 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 banned. I doubt. I, doubt. <laughs> I highly d- doubt. And they, and I did that. And then that was my first diet. And I remember another really huge moment for me that, that has been, you know, part of my healing and processing. And, and I think again, like I say these, because I think that there's these moments in our lives that, are seemingly inconsequential, but make such an impact to us. And it was on my honeymoon when I got married the first time. And I had been active in my eating disorder for probably, I would say almost two years at that point. I was the thinnest I had ever been to the point where people were starting to get concerned. Mm-hmm. I was <clears throat> I was starting to lose my hair. I wasn't sleeping. I actually, mm-hmm. my period never stopped in in all when I was symptomatic, which again is confusing for people because then they're not, they can't be diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. Anyway, I was not well. I went on my honeymoon. We were in Hawaii for two weeks. And my ex said to me towards the end of the honeymoon, he said, you know, I've never seen you so confident before or something to that extent. And I distinctly remember thinking, and what he was referring to is like how quote unquote in shape I was. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. remember thinking and feeling so 
defeated. Like, oh my, is this what I have to do to myself in order to be confident? And I was so just like dejected and disappointed and frustrated and all of these feelings. And I was angry with him and he, and we got a fight and he couldn't figure out. And he's like, what? I'm paying you a compliment. And I was like, probably told him to fuck off. Cause I didn't know how to communicate. I, I consciously knew what was happening, but I was so afraid to actually admit it that I couldn't have the conversation with him that has stuck with me. And it's been what, 15 years mm. since we had mm-hmm. that conversation. And yeah. yeah, I was like, is this what it's going to take me killing myself, literally killing right. myself in yep. the name of confidence? Like, is right. this, and, and I, I mean, I don't even know how I was acting different. I suppose I was like wearing more revealing clothing. And like, that was his version of what Andrea looks like confident. I don't know what was happening on the outside, but it was defeating. Yeah. And of course you were anything but confident, actually, truly, not. right? I, you, was, you were, I you, was anything but confident. Right. Right. But you know, you were probably carrying your body in a way that made it look like you were confident, but because I had gotten to this place, you know, again, air quotes, like this place that I thought society wanted me to be, I had arrived at this place and I was still so fucking unhappy. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. And I was Mm -hmm. angry. I remember different times of my life getting on the scale or fitting into a certain size and feeling like feeling victorious and then feeling angry because it wasn't my golden ticket. And what the fuck else is there? (laughs) Because this is the promise we're given, right? I drank that Kool-Aid. Yep. I want to, I want to circle back if it's okay, because we were talking about, I want to address this issue of if not that, then what? Right. And this is, and, and this is something that, by the way, that when I, I have some friends that I, people that I'm friends with on Facebook and Instagram who are, this is what they do. Like this is their, 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 um, anti-diet culture mm-hmm. coaches and all of that. Right. And when I say this, they're like, yeah, I know it's hard. And I'm so like, when you say, we, fuck we, you, that's you not an like, answer. If not dieting, so, then what? Yeah. Then what? Right. And so and this is the this has been my biggest struggle because when I stopped dieting, I immediately gained weight. So I think, and that's really terrifying and triggering. And by the way, nobody told me that that was going to happen. <laughs> so, and if they had, I would have been like, yeah, never mind, I'm good. Maybe that's why they kept it a secret. I know, I know, but that's but I knew, I knew that. And this is what that, that goes back to my conversation with my friend last night, where she was like but you did have a choice. And I'm like, well, kind of not really, because once I knew that another diet would lose me 10 pounds and gain me 15, I really couldn't choose that again. So the only choice that I had was to stop dieting. And this is where things have gotten really wonky for me because I've been never, ever, ever um, been taught to listen to my body because I, the only time I was quote healthy was when I was on a diet or exercise program. I completely, and we talked about this in the last episode, I completely conflated health with dieting and diet and culture thinness. and mm-hmm. thinness. Right. For me to choose healthy eating each and every day, for me to listen to my body and say, what does my body want today? What does my, you know, you know, what it's, it's, it's like a, it's a foreign language and it's a deliberate act every day. And I most days 
most days don't, <laughs> to be honest. And it's the, my biggest struggle right now is to stay in that conversation with my body, to stay in that conversation with myself. What is healthy for me today? What does my body want? What does it crave? What does it need? You know, and when I'm premenstrual, sometimes that's chocolate and sugar and like, okay. But most days what my body wants is something healthier than I usually give it. And so I'm having to turn to it and deliberately and because, because the way I was raised, because this is so far out of my wheelhouse and it's so far out of any habit that I've, that I've ever learned and it's hard, but the harder part is that like, if I'm not dieting, so that, but to me, that is the answer to the question, to be honest, if I'm not dieting, then what am I doing? And the answer is listening to my body. The answer is having a daily dialogue with my body and checking in with it. Mm-hmm. And for someone like me, that's that's radical. You're getting to know it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, 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 really hard. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it would be so much easier to go on a diet. And it and it's coming to terms with the fact that my body may never be that quote ideal. Right. And that's and that's the hardest start part too. I'm like, yeah, but I want to still want to be skinny. Yeah. Yeah, but I still want to look like that. Can't I stop dieting and listen to my body and still achieve this <laughs> this ideal? And letting go of that is I mean I'm and I'm nowhere near it. And that's the struggle every day. Which also circles back to the point that we were talking about a while ago about how our culture looks at overweight people. Mhm. And how exactly. fucking awful we are about it. Yep. Yep. Because not every body is naturally thin. And I think right. that some people can be at the most elite, healthiest part of their life. And then a, an average person would look at them and be like, well, that person's overweight. And, and I, I know people who are just built that way. And those people yeah. are healthier than somebody who might be a size two or something. And it's just, yep. you just, but we, we're so fucked up as a culture and as a society when it comes to that and how much we judge people. And I, I really love that, that Kate Brown and, and, and I, it is such a bigger conversation and how this is, it is. so it is. similar to racism and ableism and classism and how we have a hierarchy and, and fat and shaming people are is, on top. Yep. It, and yep. it's just, it's fucked up and it's not fair. And if you do some research, you know, and start Googling around about, you know, anti-diet culture, the, the antidote to it is the body positive movement. Mm-hmm. And that Instagram. Bopo. Hashtag Bopo. Right. Yep. And the that Instagram uh, page that I was talking about before is Body Positive Fitness. That's her handle. And a, she I, does. I follow a few of them. Well, I'll link to them in the show notes for people yeah. who are interested. And 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 let me, I want to also kind of circle back to something we, we briefly mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. And, you know, like you were talking about how you were like, wait a minute, you're like, you're just starting to wake up. Like, why, you know, why, how, how am I just learning about this? And I think that for many people, when we start to have this conversation, when they see an Instagram account of body positivity, people, people who are taking pictures of themselves in their bathing suits and they are, they're showing their fat rolls, you know, and their back fat, Mm -hmm. it makes people uncomfortable. Yep. And it, I don't absolutely I don't want to look at this because we have become so comfortable in diet culture. We've become comfortable. Yep. It's honestly, it's like I don't even want to know if I want to go in this direction, but it's it's when you're a white person and somebody's talking about 
white privilege and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, (laughs) my reality is this. And I don't want to, when white privilege, when looking at white privilege feels like oppression. Yep. I think there's a lot of similarities in when you, when you start to think critically about diet culture. Yes. And, and to be honest, you know, my experience of it too, is that when I look at these women, the body positive movement, and I, and I love them and I, and I honor them and and revere them. And also I don't, I'm terrified of that for myself. Right. I, I'm just going to, I'm, what's that? Is what you're, where you're at with it. Yeah. I mean, and this is, I mean, it's, but it's my own bias. It's my own inherent bias. Right. Because I am, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared that, that I am, I'm like, wait, so the, the alternative is that I accept my body exactly as it is right now. Like, no, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I scream like, no. Yeah. And, um, and of course, if I got to the place of acceptance, it would just be acceptance. So it would be fine. But because I'm not there yet, the idea of accepting my body as it is right now, which is a lot heavier than it has ever been, and it doesn't move the way that it used to, and it and there are roles and things like that that I've never experienced before, the idea of me accepting that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Side note, disclaimer, there disclaimer. are real such things like diabetes and yes. heart disease and people yep. who have who are cancer survivors who really need to stay away from sugar. Yeah. And and all these reasons to quote unquote watch what you eat because yes. there are real health concerns. And Kate and I just want to make sure that we say that out loud. Oh god. We understand yes. that and we yes. totally accept that. Yes, it's a very real thing. My father had coronary artery disease and had a quadruple bypass at the age of 58 because he had made some food choices and smoked actually for for a while mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. 70s. But it's just, we get it. Like, of course there are real um, repercussions to, and health repercussions to people who are, obesity can actually negatively affect people's health, I think is the bottom line of it. Of course, we understand that. It can and some people, uh, some, you know, and like we said, like uh, weight does not equal health. Like weight. The argue, yeah. The argue, and the argument too, that we hear sometimes is like, oh, well, am I just now supposed to like go and celebrate obesity? No, right. <laughs> that's what makes this topic. So, so complicated. You can never say the right thing. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I, I mean, here's the thing. We probably have stepped in it you know, stepped in shit times. like 17 times in this conversation. <laughs> and that's, and here's the thing, here's what I want. Here's what I actually want people to, I want to invite your listeners to, to try on the perspective that as much as we are stepping in shit in this conversation, that is what our entire culture is steeped in right now. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to unpack it in a way that makes sense or that is helpful and trying not to do more damage. It is the most complex personal growth edge that I've ever ever come across. Yeah. That I've ever come upon. Mm-hmm. And the more research that I do and the more conversations I have around it, the more the complexities are exposed. Yeah. I can I can I'm, understand that. I'm finding more questions than I am answers. And that's what happens a lot when you start looking at your own biases, when you start looking at the own me- your own messaging that you've accepted. I think what I what I as we wrap up, what I want people to walk away with, you know, going back to that 
if somebody wants to walk away with this and do some exercises, think about how you grew up. What is the messaging that you heard around diets and food and and weight and women's bodies? And then also, what is your timeline? You know, when was your first diet? All that whole timeline, because for many women, they can't remember a time of like not dieting, always on a right. diet, some kind of right. system or diet or lifestyle or whatever. And then also, I think that, you know, go if you if you haven't yet go check out some of these body positive accounts on on Instagram and, and the mm-hmm. World Wide Web and see just see what comes up for you. We're not saying like you need to go follow them and you need to go like jump on board the, the BOPO train with us. I'm just curious, like s- stay curious see what comes up for you and just pay mm-hmm. attention. And that, that's yeah. all, that's all I'm asking people to do. Yeah. And I think, and I think the real question is, too, is like, do you truly believe that you need to be a certain weight in order to be accepted in this world? Mm-hmm. And I know that I did. And I still struggle with that. I, I still do too. And that's why I just, for me, and I'm saying this, I think in the first episode, it's just when I feel that like tingling of like that little panic, like I was talking about, like, and I just get curious about it and I'm like, okay, I still use the mantra of like, well, this is happening. That's, that's interesting. And just yep. kind of like from an outsider standpoint and Again, like it has been, and I know it's a really dramatic word to say, like active revolution, but for somebody who had, who spent the majority of her life buying into diet culture to not do that, it was extremely scary and quite liberating, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. And, Mm -hmm. and what's one more thing as I wrap, I just want to close with this. What's been truly amazing to me and so empowering is how much my body knows what to do. And will tell me exactly what it yes. needs in order to take care of itself. I 100% agree. When I, because I have not been given the tools to listen, when I'm doing that as a as a deliberate act now, I get way different messages than than I thought I would mm-hmm. because my body does know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, my dear. I think it's time to wrap it up. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thanks for, for being open to continuing the dialogue. And it's a, I think we went into the first one, like, all right, let's have this conversation. It's going to be great. And then it was like, this one, it's like, okay, we have to, oh God. Okay. God, we got to right our wrongs and sorry and that it's try again. heavier. Sorry we offended everybody or anybody. I should say we didn't offend everybody. everybody. I think that we got some really, we got some really positive responses too, right? We, we got just, a lot of really positive response and people were just thankful that, some people were saying, thank you for putting into words what I've been feeling. This is, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of like fist pumps, yes, to rejecting diet yeah. culture and some confusion and yeah, yeah kind of all of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. As, and that's, that's the world of it right that there. the world of it. Exactly. <laughs> all right, everybody. Yep. Thank you for spending time with me. I know this has been a longer episode than usual. I, as always, I appreciate you taking the time to, to come here. I know your time is very precious and I am so incredibly grateful that you choose to spend it with me. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.